first, a few preliminary comments about uh, what we're doing tonight. I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not a trained Christian counselor. So you don't have to pay attention to anything that I say. So what gives me the right to be here and talk to you about inner healing and, and how we go about being inner healed and doing inner healing? Um, 25, more than 25 years, almost 30 years of experience. And along the way, what you discover are various models for dealing with damaged, broken emotions. And the process of elimination and trial and error is how most of us end up learning about most things in life. And so I just picked up models as they came on the scene and tried different things and used them in, in uh, church counseling ministry situations. And everything that I tried worked to some degree. There's always limited success. There's always, you know, nothing works all the time and nothing works perfectly. But the methodology that I want to teach this weekend far and away was more effective, multitudes more, many times more effective than everything I had used previously. So uh, I want to download it to you. And my hope this weekend is twofold. Firstly, that if you've come here with unhealed emotional pain, if there are uh, feelings, negative feelings, that tend to rule your life, if your decisions are being made, because, uh, I'll give you an example. When I was, um, it's kind of sad. I must have been close to 40. I was on a, I was on a ministry trip in England and we'd done the work and we were driving down the road. We rented this big, huge van because there was 14 of us, which is really fun, you know, to be on a ministry trip with 14 people as a total. First of all, if you're an administrator on that trip, it's suicidal. If you're not the administrator, it's nothing but fun because you're like an irresponsible child. You just decide what you want to do. You go do it and the administrator freaks out and thinks you've been kidnapped. So it's really fun. So all the work was over and we're driving through the Cotswolds. It's just this absolutely lovely day. And I'm looking out the side window and I'm musing. I'm just thinking in my mind. And this thought comes through my mind and I prayed this thought to the Lord. And I'm not even sure why. I said, Lord, I was thinking, what would I like for my life? What would I like for my life? And keep in mind, at this point I'm pastoring a large church and it's very successful and everything's going great. And on appearances I have it all together. What do I want from God for my life? And I said, Lord, I think maybe he asked me the question or prompted the question in my mind. And I remember looking out the window and I said, God, what I want for my life is that all of my decisions aren't made by fear. Because I realized as I'm driving down the road, all of my major decisions are being made by fear. My mind is being made up by my fears. And I'm clever and intelligent and capable and manipulative. And so I'm able to see to it that in most situations I'm in, I can get what I want and protect myself from any bad things coming true. But as we're driving down the road and I'm realizing this is the way I've been living my life and I'm 40 years old and I'm tired of it and I'm really not free. So I said, Lord, I, I want to be free of fear making all my decisions for me. And shortly thereafter, everything I feared Everything I had ever feared all came true within the next 18 months. 
I don't think that's what he's going to do to you this weekend. Really, I don't. If I thought he was going to do to you what he did to me, we wouldn't be here. Because I consider you friends. I, I, I don't want to dump you in that, in that bucket. But um, the net result was having to look at where my fears came from. What was motivating me? Why did I always react that way when people said something like this? You ever had that experience? Mm-hmm. You've noticed, I always seem to react this way when anyone says something like this. And I'm really not free because I always react this way whenever they say this. Why do I react that way? When did that start? I don't like reacting that way. I really don't like it. And I think I'm stuck. I think I'm stuck. God, you have to help me get free. Now's the beginning of it for me. God, you have to help me get free. And he did. And a huge fear of man. You know what the fear of man is. You know, you do what you do for the admiration of people, for their approval, rather than the admiration of God. Boy, if you're a pastor and you're operating under the fear of man, you're in for a rough, rough roller coaster ride. I had to get over that one. And God was merciful. And we did. And it was a journey of understanding and, and discovery. And it was horrible and it was wonderful and it worked. And I got free of a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, part, of the reason we, part of the reason we don't want to get free, we're going to talk about this in a minute, is because the cost of freedom is facing the pain. You will never get better if you're not willing to face the bad things you're running from. You have to confront them. I call it returning to the scene of the crime. Healing always involves returning to the scene of the crime. And you might be sitting here tonight saying, I mean, already just me talking like I'm talking right now is pressing buttons and all sorts of negative emotions are rising up and you're thinking, what am I doing here? This is really creepy. It's already getting creepy. But there's no soft sell. I mean, there's no way to get by this. If we're going to get over these negative emotions that have been ruling our lives and making our decisions for us, if we're going to get over them, we're going to have to face them. So what we're looking for is the safest context in which to face them. And this weekend, you're not going to have to do anything in public. You're not going to have to confess anything to anybody. You're not going to have to share anything. Everything that happens this weekend is going to be between you and the Lord. That's a promise. We're not going to go anywhere that doesn't involve just you and the Lord. And if at any time it gets too creepy for you, you can just shut it down and say, Lord, I'm not ready for this. Okay? not ready for this. But what I want you to do is to learn as much as you possibly can because the day is going to come when you are ready for this because you're sick of your life the way it is. That day comes. My brother's a psychologist and he says, so much of our life is hiding things in a trash can. And he said, what we do is we hide the pain in a trash can and all the things we're trying to forget and we bury it down in the bottom and we put all sorts of other garbage on top of it. Then we slam the lid down on the trash can. It's one of those metal corrugated ones where the lid fits fairly tight, you know, and you slam the lid down on it and you, and you attempt to walk away from it, but it's giving off gas. It's, it's fermenting in there. It stinks. And it's starting to, the lid's starting to shake. So you think, oh God, if this comes off, everyone's going to smell my stink. 
So you come over and you put both hands on the trash can and you squeeze it down and you hold the lid. Now I'm safe. It's okay. I'm hungry, but I can't leave the trash can. <laughs> I wanted to go out and have some fun this weekend, but I can't leave the trash can. What if the, if the gas is building? I'll get on the can. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> One of your magic burritos. <laughs> so... So I'll get on the trash can and I'll just I'll get on the trash can and my brother says pretty soon you're sitting on the lid and you're holding the side of the can like this and all of your body weight and all of your energy is holding the lid on the can and we call this life we call this the victorious Christian life we call this the abundant life I'm having the abundant life I'm getting tired of holding the can down but this is abundant boy can't wait to die Oh, yeah. No cans in heaven. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, so I'm telling you as one who's walked the the path of healing, emotional healing, it's really worth it. It's really worth it. And whenever I confront something, see, first of all, all of us are unwell. All of us need healing. And none of us ever get completely healed. You'll be completely emotionally healed a tenth of a second after you die. All right? But that's no reason to stay completely ruined for your entire life. We're to make progress. We're to go through degrees of healing. And this weekend is an opportunity for many of us to get a big degree of healing. And believe me, every big degree of healing you get feels like the whole thing. My gosh, I'm perfect. Now my wife will really respect me. And she's thrilled about the degree of healing, but you're still an idiot. (laughs) Right? But you go from glory to glory. You go from healing to healing. The idea of the Christian life is, is, is progress. We're supposed to grow. Growing just doesn't make, mean making better moral decisions. Growing means becoming more whole. More integrated in the parts of our personality. You know what the best thing, this, this, this guys, if there's a benefit, here's what it is. If there's a benefit to walking this path and facing the pain, it's this. You end up liking yourself better than you did last year. You know what it's like to like yourself better than you did last year? It's great. And to like yourself better than 10 years ago? I think of myself 10 years ago, what an idiot. I I see people come into our church and they want to be involved in ministry and they're young and I see all the problems in their life and I'm sort of getting ready to reject them and I remember what I was like when I came into the church and wanted ministry. I would never have had a minute for someone like me if I was a pastor and someone like me came into the church. I was a mess. So the goal is that we get better bit by bit by bit and that means facing some of the pain. But you're facing the pain with God, okay? You're facing the pain with the one personality in existence who you can genuinely trust. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe he's really genuinely trustworthy. Right? So I've walked... What I was going to say is, I still face... Don't we all face issues? Just because you had a big chunk of healing doesn't mean you're completely better. I face stuff that comes up in my life frequently when I find myself asking, why am I reacting this way? Why am I having this negative emotion? Where did this come from? What isn't healed? And this is the point of the whole weekend. What lie am I believing today that allows this pain, this fear, 
to stay. If you can find the lie and hear the truth, the emotion will go. All right? So what I'm going to teach you in the how-to of this this process, this methodology, you can use one-on-one with the Lord. And I do repeatedly. The only time you need someone else's help, I've discovered, is when you're up against something that's really, really painful and really hard to figure out and you're just too invested in it to get any objectivity and all of your negative emotions are in the way. And then I say, go see someone who's good at it. And that's what I do. Okay? Okay. And I'm not ashamed to say that. All right, let's get started. Now, this is the dry stuff. Are you with me? We're going to do the dry stuff first, and then we're going to do the fun stuff later. But the dry stuff is important. Yay. Can I stay up until nine for the, for the good stuff? It's going to be a real bummer till 8.30. Can I stay up until nine for the, the really fun? Yes, you may. Yes. Yes, as your surrogate parental God figure this evening, you may stay up all the way, even until 10. So we're going to do the dry stuff, the theological foundation first, but it's really important because in this kind of ministry, people will take shots at you. They will say, what you're doing isn't biblical, you know, blah, 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 as if they have any clue. But they're going to take shots at you. And it's good to have the foundation, the biblical foundation of why we do what we do, so that when they come to shake you, you have an answer and you have a firm foundation and you don't get knocked off the course. All right? You need that firm foundation. And the firm foundation is in the Word. And by the way, the reason I like this model so much and I'm so loyal to it is because in every aspect it's biblically certain. There's like six proof texts for every point. And that's why I really respect it and like it. That and the fact that it works. But if it's biblical, it should work. Okay? All right. Theological foundation for healing of emotions. Why do I need my mind renewed? Why even bother with emotional healing? Why not just say the sum total of being a Christian is making good decisions? So as long as my mind is good and I can reason out good decisions, who really cares if I'm in emotional pain? Now that may sound a little dumb when I say it, but there's a lot of people that think that way. And a lot of people that theologize that way. The emphasis is on good reasoning and running your life according to biblical principles. And if you're in pain the whole time, well, that's just the price you pay for all the dumb things you did when you were young. You're going to get to heaven. Don't worry about it now. The fact is, man is body, soul, and spirit, and they are interrelated. And God cares about the whole person. 1 Thessalonians 5:23 May God himself the God of peace sanctify you through and through. What's sanctification? There's two things, justification and sanctification. The minute you become a Christian, you are what's called justified. You are now put in a right position with God. All of your sins have been forgiven. You are going to heaven. When God looks at you, he does not see your sin. But that's not the end of the story. There's something beyond that called sanctification. What is sanctification? Justification takes that long. The minute you accept him, you're justified. Sanctification takes till the moment of your death. And what is sanctification? Sanctification is the penetration of God's truth 
into every aspect of your life until your emotions, your mind, and your body, even your physical state, is living in God's truth. You have absorbed as much of it as you can. It has affected you as much as it can in every aspect of your personality. That's sanctification in a nutshell. And that's really what we're talking about. And it affects all of us. May your whole spirit, soul, which is the emotions, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. You've heard that passage, uh, all things have changed, you become new creatures. Right? That's often argued to say, you become a new creature, old things are past, they're put away, all things are new, therefore you should simply deny any pain or negative emotions you have because all things have been made new. Do you understand how that works? It's the primary proof text for uh, the, the theological school of denial. If it were true, we wouldn't have any negative emotions. Do you understand? I mean, this is just a childlike reasoning, but it's really simple. If that were true, if that verse was true, interpreted that way, there would be no debate. You'd simply become a Christian. You're in the light. Everything is different. You're just always happy. There are no negative emotions. Fear never touches you. You float through life in a spiritual state of bliss, and then you die. None of us in this room live that way. None of us live that way. I have known a lot of holy people, genuine holy people. They don't live that way. Being a new creature doesn't transcend humanity. It regenerates it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that is the process of sanctification and that takes a lifetime. You see, we might be new creatures, but we're still living in the world. And the fallen nature still is part of our experience until Christ's return. Who said that? What chapter? Oh, oh, who will set me free from this? Yeah, Romans 7 and 8. Who will set me free? I don't do the things I want to do. I do the stuff I don't want to do. Listen, it doesn't just include things you're doing that you don't want to do. It includes thoughts you have you don't want to have. It includes emotions you have that you don't want to have. It includes negativity, fear, and depression that you don't want to have. It includes that consistent reaction to this kind of behavior over here that always brings out the worst in you. There is this fight between the new man and the old man which is going to go on all our lives. Our job is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in building this new person. And that's a process. And that's the penetration of God-given truth into every aspect of the human personality. See, unless we're convinced that sanctification is a process which affects our emotions as well as our moral choices, we will see sanctification as only making better choices. Listen, God wants more than a healed will. You've got to believe that. People, God cares about your emotions. He cares about your pain and he wants it fixed. He wants, it. He wants you to get beyond it. He's committed to that. When Jesus defined abundant life, he's not defining abundant life as just making better choices. Like a healed mind, your reasoning abilities. You know, in one place Jesus said, everything I've told you, 
everything I've told listen this is so wonderful Bob I'm Jesus your humanity everything I've told you it's so that your joy will be complete and that's not a theoretical joy when the Bible talks about joy it's talking about an emotion the school of denial has has watered down joy to where it's this theoretical idea of sort of being content in miserable circumstances it's being able to suck it up in, in a bad place. That's biblical joy. Nonsense. Every time you read in the Bible about joy, it's real. You hear Paul talk about it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit and joy, smiled to heaven and said, Thank you, Father, dot, dot, dot. Let's not take the positive emotions out of being a Christian. God wants more than a healed will. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines sanctification this way. It says, Sanctification involves more than a mere moral reformation of character brought about by the power of truth. In other words, sanctification is more than knowing the truth and acting on it and making good moral decisions. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influences of new gracious principles, truth implanted in the soul in regeneration. The process of sanctification is the application of truth to the mind of the believer, but this truth speaks to the emotions as well. And I know this is trite to say, but we need to repeat it. Choosing truth, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit is a daily event. Right? You know, some days you're doing pretty well. Some days you're believing a lot of truth, and you've made choices consistent with that truth and your emotions have responded to that truth and you're experiencing that sense of well-being and that joy that comes from being a Christian and you think you're complete and you think it's all done and you're going to be this way for the rest of your life and then two days later that bad thing happens that triggers that emotional response and all the truth seems to evaporate. You're back in that negative place and the only real truth you know is that life sucks and you wishes you were dead. You had that experience? The emotional roller coaster, choosing to live in the truth and choosing to be healed by the truth and having the truth penetrate our emotions is a daily choice. Now, there are times when we're going to experience like this weekend where we're going to experience a big um, chunk of healing. But even after that chunk of healing, they're still living with it. They're still going on believing when the emotions seem to be saying something contrary. It is a daily choice. The Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he, the Father, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. It really bothers me that people always narrow this verse to sins. If we confess our sins, he will heal us from all unrighteousness, etc., etc. How about this? If we confess any negativity, if we confess any untruth we're living under, if we confess any lie or false emotion we're feeling to him, bring it to him and confess it, get it out into the light and let him deal with it, then he will transform it into righteousness. How about expanding the understanding, not just to the, to, to, to the bad actions that we do. Look, people, the bad actions that you do are not your problem. It's the bad attitudes that the bad actions come from. And the bad attitudes aren't your problem. It's the underlying lies you're believing that lead to those bad attitudes, that lead to those bad actions that are sins you have to confess. Do you understand? 
trace it backwards, get to the root of the problem. If you'll confess that to him and he can speak truth to that problem and you get rid of that lie you're believing, the rest of it takes care of itself. The school of denial fights sin by fighting the sin. If you transform the person and you reach the person inside where the lie lives and, and where the pain dwells and that takes care of, the sins stop happening. Can, can you believe that? Let's go to the root and deal with, 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 with the real source of the problem. So this lifestyle of confession that John is talking about in this passage it's not just a confession of sins. It's a confession of truth from God as it applies to all the aspects of our humanity. Body, soul, emotions, mind, and spirit. Paul prays continually for all believers that God would give wisdom and revelation to know him better. That the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so they would know God fully. He said of the Corinthians, he was worried that they would be led astray in their minds and their thinking. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen, you've heard this before, but it's absolutely true. The quality of your Christian life is dependent upon what you think and what you believe. That battle is in the mind. The thoughts that you think about God and yourself, okay, just these two little subjects. The thoughts you think about God, what he's really like, and what he thinks of me. What you think of yourself. Do I have any right to receive his love? Those two things, what you think about God and what you think about self, yourself, determine the entire quality of your life. And whether you're going to experience joy or not. Just those two things. That battlefield is in the mind. The battlefield is in the mind. God clearly wants to heal us in every way, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And it's interesting. We've, in this school, we've looked at physical healing. We've looked at spiritual healing and matters of forgiveness amongst friends and family relationships. We've talked about the casting out of demons and, and deliverance from uh, delusions of the mind. Now we're coming to the emotions. It's just a logical step. When... John and Bob and I were talking about what's the next thing to do. We reasoned that way. Well, we've covered this about being a, person, a human. We've covered this aspect of our humanity with Christ. And this, now what about the emotions? Can't leave it out. God's will is for healing and wholeness in the whole person. I don't know about you guys, but I find it so comforting to realize that God cares about my emotions. They're not just something I have to confess as part of my human weakness and then trash them. Okay, God, I know I, I know I always feel this way about that, but now that I've said it to you, please forgive me of it, and I hope I can live free for 10 or 15 minutes before it comes again. Then I'll just confess it to you again as sin, and then you can remove it home. This sucks. I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. I wish... Oh, heaven's looking better by the minute. Really? It's so comforting to me that I can come here to him with my negative goop and puke it on him. And he, he burps me with a little projectile vomiting baby that I am and hugs me and cleans me up and says, we can deal with that. Yes. We can deal with that. I have, a, I, have a, I have a truth for that, right? That negative emotion right there, I have a truth for that. Yeah. We can take care of that. Amen. And he's not bothered by it. So 
I think I already said this, but I'm going to say it again. Where old patterns of thinking and destructive behaviors still exist, it is simply because the truth has not yet come to that area of our thinking or behavior. It really is. I know that sounds terribly simple, but you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you understand? If, you're, if something's not working in your life, it's just because the truth, the unique truth that you need for that problem has not yet come to you or you haven't heard it. And when you hear it and you get it, that problem is going to disappear. Now, I don't mean circumstances will instantly change. I mean the negative emotions tied to that response. Once you get the truth, really hear the truth, that negative emotion won't be there anymore. Used to be when I was younger, um, I had this really pathetic response. Anytime I started to sense that someone was going to leave our church, even for a good reason, Bob, like say they were going to move away to get a job someplace else and it was good for them to go, it was the Lord's will. Anytime I sensed they were going to move away or I heard a rumor about someone maybe going to another church or something, I would begin to find reasons inside of me to dislike them. Yeah. Sick. God, can you imagine? Joy, can you imagine being pastored by someone like that? Oh, you were. There's an old friend. She lives there from Scottsdale, and we're all Canadians, and, and they were part of the church plant we did in Canada. That, that, uh, so she saw me. She, yes, you're still here. That, either I've grown and we've grown, or you're the most loving Mother Teresa-type figure in the universe. So I discovered this pattern that, that any time people started like moving away, for any good reason, I would begin finding reason to dislike them, and I would begin criticizing them. And when I saw that, I was with a psychologist, of course, you know, talking about why I react this way. And, and he said, well, tell me about rejection in your life. I never thought about rejection in my life. And as soon as he said it, I can't remember if my eyes were closed or if they were open, but all of a sudden I saw this high-speed movie of me and every instance where I had been rejected and then rejected people because I'd been rejected, it was sickening. Like when you watch it in total, it takes your breath away. I didn't realize I was that screwed up. Like, wow, man, I'm really screwed up. I'm more screwed up than the people I'm rejecting. <laughs> Choosing, I would take them over me. But as he said, tell me about rejection in your life, and I saw all this stuff, God came in and spoke to me. And... I saw what I was doing and I saw the reason why I was doing it and I didn't want to keep doing it. Sometimes all the truth you need is to see why you're doing what you're doing and find out you really don't want to. You with me? Sometimes that's all the truth that you need. Where old patterns of thinking and behavior still exist, it's because the truth has not yet come to that area of our thinking or behavior. Ponder this. I was speaking with a very wise Christian one day, and I said, how do you handle temptation? And she said to me, oh, that's easy. And I thought, wow, this is going to be good, because don't we all deal with temptation all the time? And she said, every, every temptation, here's how, you, here's how you beat temptation. Every single temptation you will ever experience is based on a lie. Find the lie, and the temptation loses its power. That's right. that's really Guys, it's dead on. I mean, I started doing it. 
every temptation that would come along, I'd say, what's the lie? What's the lie behind that temptation? And of course, the Lord, by the way, has a vested interest in these issues. So he tends to speak the truth to you right then and there. And, and he tells you the truth. And he, he tells you the lie and you go, well, what a crock that is. Like, I'm going to get sucked into that. The power of the truth is enough right in that moment to break the power of temptation. Behind every temptation, there's a lie. For example, here's some common ones for you people that are young. To be happy, you have to be sexually active. That's not true. Happiness doesn't depend on being sexually active. You'll feel better and more confident if you take a drink. Well, you will for about a half an hour. And then you'll need another drink and then you'll have another one and then you'll throw up. And your friends will think, guy's a real idiot. And if you keep it up long enough, you'll become an alcoholic. And now your life is in shambles. Recreational drug use is harmless. I spoke at the funeral of my best friend's brother who committed suicide coming down from crack. People, there's no such thing as recreational drug use. That's just what we call starting. That's called the beginning of an addiction. There's no recreational drug use. That's a lie. And it's never harmless. Sex for pleasure has no emotional consequences. Yes, it does. But you find out in sex for pleasure is at some point you might actually fall in love with this person and then it doesn't work out and part of you is in them for the rest of your life. Part of your soul they own. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Pornography is not wrong because it's only in my imagination. I'll feel better about myself if I get a new car and a bigger house. That, by the way, is okay in Christian circles. That's the only one of those listed that's okay in Christian circles. It's still temptation and it's still a lie and it's still bondage. We tend to think that our circumstances are the source of our pain or temptation. But often the pain is magnified beyond that of the present circumstances because of a lie that is giving us a false interpretation of our situation. That was a big sentence. Let me read it again. We tend to think our circumstances, this mess that I'm in right now, okay? These negative emotions I'm feeling right now, this messed up relationship that I'm feeling right now, this loss of a job that I'm feeling right now, this not making ends meet financially that I'm feeling right now, and all of the frustration and the pain and everything that I'm living in right now. We tend to think that these circumstances are the source of our pain. More often, the pain we're experiencing is magnified beyond what's justified by those present circumstances because of a lie that is giving us a false interpretation of our situation. Are you getting that conceptually? Let me give you an example. This will make a lot more sense. And this is a number of people I'm describing right now. Because okay, this, this example is not uncommon. A young man grows up with a domineering, hypercritical father. Hello? Does anyone want to bid on this? If you're, the, if you're the hypercritical father, pay attention. We're going to fix this situation so your kids don't have to repeat the mess, all right? Okay. Young man grows up with a domineering, hypercritical father. Nothing he ever did was good enough. Doesn't anyone but me own this? As a result, he now believes that he is a failure 
and will never be good enough. There's the lie. He has misinterpreted his father's brokenness, unhealedness, inability to be a good father. He has interpreted that as his own failure. Now he's sure he will never be good enough. He will never measure up. So he has drifted from job to job because even though they all started well, a time inevitably came when his boss, father figure, had to bring constructive criticism. Guys, in any job, constructive criticism is inevitable. As soon as the criticism came, the lie spoke to his emotions. First, he felt it. Then he thought, you are a failure. You will never succeed in this job. He feels exactly as he did with his father, even more so now. It's magnified. Beyond proportion to that little comment that his boss made. His interpretation of these feelings is that he must quit this job and find another one where he will not feel what he is feeling now. And he does. So he gets a new job. And it goes really well for six months. And the inevitable happens. And these emotions rise up again. And the lie speaks to him again. And now he must go again and find another job. Pokes. Do you know anybody like that? You ever lived that way? Okay. Mm-hmm. Could be married to somebody. A present situation may trigger familiar painful emotions from earlier events. That's what's happening to this guy. If I try to resolve my present pain without finding the lie that I'm believing... I will only find temporary relief. That's the guy who changes jobs, right? Well, let me put this in one that you can, another one that's maybe more comprehensible. You're in a relationship. This is so sick. I mean, this is so twisted. Every woman wants to marry her father. No, I don't mean your actual father. Listen, I'm really glad you're awake. I'm digging that you're awake. This is good for me. It's very affirming. I'm fulfilling my purpose, but I didn't mean you want to marry your own father. That's really sick. You're sick. You need help. You stay and get every because you got to get healed, sister. I mean to say that very often women go looking for someone like their dad because it's the only thing they really know is a male figure. Now this is good if your dad was great. But for some of us, he wasn't. And by the way, guys, some of us go out to marry women like our mothers. That's great if your mother was great. But if your mother was mentally ill, and you go out and marry a woman who is mentally ill, you're just going to revisit your childhood, only multiplied much worse. I personally would know nothing about that. So a present situation may trigger familiar painful emotions from earlier events. You'll find yourself reliving the issues of your past in a whole new situation, only now they're worse. It's like playing poker and and the blinds just went up. The antes just went up. Now the stakes are really high of losing on this one. So I need to change my circumstances. This relationship is no good. This guy's wrong for me. He really looked right for me, but he's wrong for me. So you dump them. Subconsciously, you just go find another one. 
I can't believe you guys. I don't know about you, but you do this pastoral thing long enough and you meet you meet these women. Usually they're beautiful. Go figure. And fairly intelligent and competent. And they've got this total loser for a boyfriend. And they come to you and they say, we're so in love, should I marry him? And you say, have you had your vision checked lately? I mean, have, it, he's, a, he's an idiot. He is a thousand miles beneath you. You can do better. Oh, no, we're, lo- we're in love. And then, and then, of course, they hook up, and the guy's a total loser. And the marriage lasts a couple of years, and he's a complete idiot. So she dumps him, and you think, I mean, you're not supposed to think that, but you're thinking, hooray for the truth. She finally saw what a loser this guy is. He's not going to change. And then she goes and finds another identical one with a different haircut. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, 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 like, what planet are you on? How can you be so smart and so beautiful and so competent and yet you keep being attracted to these total losers? You know, deep inside, a lot of these women don't think that they're beautiful. They don't think that they're intelligent and they don't think that they're competent and they've been badly abused by men and they think that's what they deserve. So they go find the biggest loser on the block. Good for the loser. I mean... (laughs) Somebody has to win. I mean, people all the time, they say, wow, how come Shelley married you? I say brokenness. She hasn't been healed yet. Let's leave it that way. That's not funny. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. I, I, married, I married above myself, okay? What's that? Tom Petty song, even the losers get lucky sometime, even the losers win. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> so they keep making the same mistake over and over and over again because the lie is still in place and it's governing their choices and their present situation. So they blow off the loser and go find another one and just keep repeating the cycle, wondering why they can't find happiness wondering why they can't find a stable relationship because the problem isn't even the relationship really it's what's going on underneath but if you deal on the surface all the time and you never look at what's going on underneath you're just going to make the same mistakes over and over and over again how many times have you asked the question why do I always overreact overreact whenever anyone says blank doesn't matter who they are or where it is somebody says something like this (gasps) urge to kill or self-hate or or fear or running or I've got to get out of here or something. Have you ever had that experience? Well, listen, let's not have that experience anymore. Let's ask the question, what lie am I believing that allows that emotion to remain? Where did this come from and where did it start? If I believe the lie, it might as well be the truth because the consequences will be much the same. Psychological studies show that the body reacts exactly the same way to real danger as to perceived danger. False perception elicits the same response as accurate perception. That's why a lie is so effective. And by the way, the thing about a lie is you're not conscious that it's a lie. It's a lie. It's operating as a lie inside of you. You you don't believe it's a lie. You believe this is the way things are. 
you believe this is the truth. So it has the ability to elicit the same response in you time after time after time. All right. I think I've convinced you this is important and we've got to get after these things. Where do lies come from and how do they take root in our life? How are we doing on time? You want a break? I'm going to try to um, get through this material as fast as possible so we can do a practical exercise and experience some of this tonight. So, let's answer the question, where do lies come from? Anybody, where do lies come from? Satan, who is the father of lies. This is really important. When Jesus says, you're the father of lies, everything you speak is a lie, this tells us not just about Satan's um, nature, but how he operates. It's his modus operandi. If Satan is going to dismantle your life, it's going to be through lies. The most uh, common attack you will experience in spiritual warfare is not the bed shaking or the windows rattling or things moving around the room of their own volition. What you will experience most in spiritual warfare will be lies. If Satan can implant a lie in your life, listen to this, it's really important. If Satan can implant a lie in your life that you don't recognize as a lie, he can leave it there for the rest of your life and never bother you again. And that lie will undo your life. It's efficient. You got to see. He doesn't have to see. Most people think, "Whoa, spiritual warfare!" Like Satan sends a bunch of demons to harass me. That is a waste of his energy. He 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 uses those demons for Washington. Yeah. yeah. He he uses those demons where he can get the biggest bang for the buck. That would be in Congress, okay? But and the Senate, but. Normally, the spiritual warfare you're going to deal with, he's not going to send a bunch of demons to wreck your life if he can implant one really good lie into your thinking and you don't recognize it and you start basing your decisions and your emotions on that lie, he can just walk away and chuckle for the rest of his life. That lie will dismantle your life. Do you understand? That's how powerful a lie is. So he's the father of lies. His modus operandi is through lies. Satan took man's authority in the garden through a lie. He attempted to gain dominance over Jesus through a lie. He spoke through Peter with a lie and he's still lying to us today. Lying is his best and most effective weapon. Where do lies come from? When do they begin? Two sources. Lies begin from our misinterpretation of events or from someone telling us a lie. They can only come from two places. Someone tells us a lie or we misinterpret a given situation and reach a faulty conclusion. Here's just a kind of a pathetic example, but mom tells young Tommy that she's sending him to summer camp because she loves him and she wants to reward him for being good. So far, so good. Tommy goes to summer camp, gets poison ivy, runs a fever, is in bed the whole time, hates every minute of it, comes home. And what's he thinking? He now believes mummy's love is about rejection and pain. Don't ever reward me like that again. Please, I'm begging you. 
It's a misinterpretation of events. Mummy didn't intend that he would get poison ivy. She wanted it to be a good experience. But he is young, and he is at an age where he cannot reason his way out of these things, and he is subject to misinterpretation of many of the things that happen in his life. So he reaches a faulty conclusion. Now, if that faulty conclusion is allowed to remain, all sorts of choices and emotional reactions will be based on that faulty conclusion for the rest of his life until he comes to this seminar. And he should have been here, and we should have way more people and made a lot more money and we should have had huge tape sales and I should have been able to buy a jet just from this. Have I misinterpreted anything here? Gosh, I got off on a wrong track there for a second. So good to be back. Lies take root often when we're young, ignorant, confused and without sufficient knowledge of the truth to refute them. So, hint, hint, when we're dealing with the root causes, we're probably going to historically go back in time. We're going to be looking at those events in our life when these lies first took root. Usually they take root as a result of some traumatic experience. Hence, the lie is now associated with a negative emotion, and the negative emotion is now associated with the lie. And the lie, until it's dealt with, allows the negative emotion to remain. Did you get that logic? We're going to look at it a little more, but that's how it works. They usually take root as a result of some traumatic experience. When we believe a lie and we base our decisions upon it, we are subject to what Paul calls a... The Apostle Paul has a word for when we continually base decisions and thinking on a lie, it becomes a stronghold becomes a stronghold. That's really all Paul's saying. When you consistently base your thinking and your reactions on a lie, it has become a stronghold in your life. They wound us. They stop us from using our authority. They steal our joy. They limit our experience of the goodness of God. They inhibit us from operating in faith, and they hamper our peace. Listen. If you cannot enjoy the feeling of well-being God intended for you, If you fear something bad is always going to happen, you're subject to a lie. If you can't experience the peace of Christ, there's a lie operating in your life. And and if it's consistently you're not experiencing this peace, it's a stronghold. A dominant, ever-present lie becomes the prison in which the negative emotions are held captive. If there's a negative emotion that continues to dominate and causes a pattern of harmful behavior, it is an indication that a lie is present. We tend to think the event is the issue, and the memory of that event needs to be changed. The memory is only the container for the lie, which also traps the negative emotion. Is this, are you following what I'm saying? They're all associated. Paul indicates that believers can actually give a foothold, literally a place to stand to Satan in their lives. One well-placed powerful lie is as effective at destroying a life as years of demonic attack. Let me give you an example. Here's a really good one. Watch how this dismantles a life. Young girl is sexually molested by an older man. It might be her father, it might be her uncle, it might be the next-door neighbor. It really doesn't matter. She's just been treated in an incredibly traumatic manner. She is very susceptible to believing a lie. The lie Satan plants in her mind is very simple. Men are dangerous. They cannot be trusted. You must never get close to a man. 
Now, can you imagine anyone reaching that conclusion after being sexually molested as a child? By the way, how could you not? I mean, you're young enough that you don't get why men behave this way. (laughs) God, this is so sick. This is so unfair. Women who've been sexually molested, when they're like four, five, six, ten, eleven years old, by some complete creep, the vast majority of the ones I've talked to, and it's a whole lot, believe it was their fault. How can you think that? This monster took advantage of you and hurt you and treated you in an inhuman fashion and you think somehow, I must have attracted it. There must have been something about me that was cheap and dirty and deserved this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. That's the lie they're believing. Now, I wonder why they keep picking losers for husbands and boyfriends. Seriously. You get it? So she's been sexually abused. Now she believes this lie that men are dangerous and can't be trusted and you must never get close to a man. As she reaches puberty, her desire for intimacy and sexual contact grows, but her fear of men remains. Her first sexual intimacy is with the lesbian in high school. Her desire for intimacy and sexual pleasure is fulfilled, so she becomes convinced she's a lesbian. That can happen. I'm safe with her. And it feels good. I'm a lesbian. Oh, that clarifies everything. But she's not. So she lives this lifestyle, but ultimately it's not fulfilling because she's simply not a lesbian. So it's really not working for at the core of her being. She's not designed for this. This isn't who she really is. So ultimately it proves just not enough. It's not right. Something's still missing. Now she doesn't know what to do. She begins to look for a deeper meaning for her life and she becomes a Christian at the age of 23. Finally, she's found a man who can be trusted, Jesus. For the next few years, she's fulfilled and content. She is living a celibate lifestyle and she's controlling her desire for sexual intimacy. She no longer believes she's a lesbian, but she has no interest in men and she can't understand why. Gradually, you see, she becomes discontent. Her relationship with God is good and she feels incomplete. My relationship with God is good, but I still feel incomplete. One day at church, she hears a middle-aged single woman talk about her ministry to orphans in Africa. She's struck by how content and joyous and at peace this older single lady is. Here is someone who's found her calling and is living a satisfying celibate life. She hears the call to the mission field and she goes to work with this lady in Africa. For several years, she's fulfilled. Being with the children satisfies many of her material urges and the work is sufficiently demanding that she has little time to examine her emotions. Now she's 40. She's got a successful ministry. The acclaim of all who know her, something's wrong, something's missing. Now she's at the height of her God-given sexual desire and she's lonely for intimacy. And a relationship with God is not enough because God didn't design her for that. He didn't give her the gift of celibacy. She's not a lesbian. She's a damaged, hurt, wounded, heterosexual woman who wasn't designed to be alone for her whole life and wasn't given the gift to prosper in celibacy. And now she's lonely 
and she can't understand why. She wants to be cherished, but she can't understand why a great relationship with God and a powerful ministry is not enough. She believes she has the gift of celibacy, but in fact, God has not given her that gift. You see, God's design for her was and still is to be married. But she ruled that out years ago on the basis of what? On the basis of a lie. Once this lie is in place, it undermines God's plan for her until it is revealed and removed. And I know this is redundant, but the interesting thing is Satan does not need to waste any time harassing her once the lie is in place. Kind of scary, isn't it? How do we fight the lies? Well, first we need to distinguish between two kinds. There's two kinds of lies operating in your life, only two kinds. Those that you're aware of and those you're not. And the ones that you're aware of are a lot easier to fight than the ones you're not. So we can dispose of that quickly. Here's how you deal with lies we know about. In fact, I want to keep you awake. So you tell me, how do we deal with the lies we know about? Anybody? Okay, you confess them to God. You bring them into the light. Just You hit it anything we confess to God he's going to heal anything brought into the light is going to be healed what else meditate on the word of God find you know what the lie is now go to the scripture and take your concordance and look up every single place in the Bible that deals with the answer to that lie and read them every day just like you would meditate on healing scriptures because you need the power of that healing word to bring healing to your body. Now you need the power of that healing word to bring healing to your thoughts and to your emotions. What else? Receive godly counsel. I don't think Shelley will mind me telling this story. When, when she first came to our church, um, I was married to somebody else and so was she. And by the way, nothing ever happened. Okay, just so you... Don't get on the gossip wagon here. She came, she came to our church and um, she was on the worship band because she, because she played piano. And um, I ran the worship band, or at least one of them, and I'm a dictatorial worship leader and a real monster when it comes to running a band. And I told her, <laughs> she still tells the story to this day. I sat her down and said, Shelly, this band has a bass player and she's looking at me. And I said, that means you'll never use your left hand. Wow, freaked out. I took X years of Royal Conservatory. You're not going to use your left hand. Just. So anyway, she didn't like that very much. So she started talking to some of the other people in the band about this dictatorial pastor that didn't let her use her left hand and was such a fuss budget to work with. So I heard about this through the grapevine that she was bad-mouthing me behind my back. And um, I didn't like that. I didn't like it mostly because of what it does inside the church. Gossip is when the enemy's principal tools tear up the body of Christ. So I called her into my office and I sat her down and I said, uh, now uh, come to my attention that you've been saying some bad things about me and um, have you been saying bad things about me? Yes. Yes, Pastor, I have. Okay. Um, why? Well, yeah, I felt really bad about... Um, 
my gift. Uh, and um, cry, 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 fall apart, fall apart, fall apart. I feel sorry for her, you know, okay. So we spend a little time and we figure out that there are these tapes that she's listening to. These unworthiness tapes. These, I'm, that nobody loves me, that, that I'll never be accepted unless I'm perfect. All this kind of measuring up life under the law sort of tapes running in her mind. All these lies going on constantly. She's a complete perfectionist. She was adopted uh, as, a, as a child. She was never really bonded or cared for in her adoptive family. There's all these issues. So it doesn't take that long to figure them out. So we figure them out and I tell her, okay, here's the truth. Here's the truth. This is the truth about how God feels about you. This is the truth about how you can fit in this church. This is what your worth is based on. Not whether you play with your left hand or your right hand. That doesn't even matter. You're a child of God. Here's where you're worth. I mean, I mean, she's beaming. You know, it's like, oh, hallelujah. We got the truth. I'm finally free. And, and it wasn't an act. I mean, she was thrilled. And then, and then it crossed her mind. She did the math in her head and she said, I've been believing these tapes that go in my mind all of my life what if they come back tomorrow and they would they always do they want to come back they're not going to just give up easily and she said I feel totally free today but what if, what if I don't feel free tomorrow I said well here's what we'll do I said every time you hear that tape and it starts to assert itself and you're not sure of the truth and you don't have the ability to hold on to that truth you call me oh I couldn't do that I said I'm only going to give you five minutes I'm just going to tell you the truth that you need to hear again. You call me up and say, I'm really embarrassed. I'm believing these lies again, but they're getting strong. Please just tell me that truth again that I need to hear. She said, you would do that? I said, yeah. I mean, that's what I we're here for, right? Healing. Well, she did. Every second day for two or three weeks, she called because she wanted to get well, see? She called and said, I know I'm really embarrassed and believing this. What, what, what? Tell me again. Tell me again the truth. And I'd say, your worth in this church does not depend on the ministry or what you do. You belong here because you're a child of God and you're our sister and we love you and you have belonging in this family. You are not rejected here. You are loved by the Father and that's the basis of your acceptance. Got to go quick. Every second, I'm serious, about every second day for three weeks. Then the next couple of weeks was about every three or four days. Then for about two or three weeks after that, it was once a week, twice a week. And then after about three months, she never called again, ever. She just needed to hear the truth enough times that it would add up to enough truth and enough power and enough getting new tapes running against the old tapes so that she had the ability now to play the new tapes for herself and not have to constantly call up someone else. But there was a period of dependency where she had to call up someone else. God didn't design you to be independent and to be able to fight this fight alone. You've got to have the help of your brothers and sisters. So when you discover the truth and you're having trouble hanging on to it, you get someone else to help you hang on to it. It's the buddy system. Until that lies beaten. And I'm telling you, if you'll do it, it will go. It will. The truth always beats the lie. But you need to hear it more than once. Receive powerful prayer. We have authority over the lies of the enemy. Find those who are skilled in praying with authority and skilled in rebuking the lies and, and let them pray for you. 
Let them pray for you. But that's so humbling. I'll end up at the front of the church every Sunday for the next two years. I knew this guy up in Canada in Victoria, and I lived in Calgary. It's about 600 miles difference. And I'd only go out twice a year to see my family in Victoria, but he was a neat guy, and I always went to the same church. And he'd just gone through this horrendous divorce. And I saw him right after he went through this divorce. Man, he was undone. He had come apart like a cheap suitcase. His guts and his underwear and his soiled linens and socks were all over the floor for everybody to see. His life was a mess. And I, I mean, I have to think, I've got to tell you, I didn't have faith for him. I didn't know if he was going to make it. God, this is one of the saddest emotional brokennesses I've ever seen. Then I visited again six months later. He seemed a little better, just a little. Then I visited again six months later, now about a year. He was a lot better, not totally. Then a year later, I visited again. The guy was like bubbly and alive and functional. And I mean, I, the look in his face, it was like seeing, wow, there's a transformation here. So I said, Steve, how did this happen? Because I want to know because I'm in the business. Like, I need to know, how did this work? How do you get that kind of transformation? He said, well, I don't know. He said, it kind of, he said, it was never, um, nothing ever happened. He said, there was never any kind of uh, big thing. He said, but um, I go to this church, you know, and they have healing prayer every Sunday. And I just decided right away, I didn't want to live like this for the rest of my life. So he said, I'm just going to go for, he said, I made a deal with God. Every time they ask if there's anyone here who needs prayer, I'm going forward because I need prayer. And he said, I went forward every Sunday for two years. He said, I don't know when it happened, but something's happened. I don't need it anymore. And I'm happy. And and, and, I mean, it's like, it's just going forward for prayer. He didn't go to a great psychologist. There is a source of all pain in your life, Steve. You married your mother. She's a twisted beast. I mean, it didn't take anything phenomenal. He just exposed, listen, he just exposed himself to the love and power of truth on a regular basis until it won in his life. Are you with me? That's what you do with the ones that you know. Now, there's a tricky one. How do you deal with the lies that you don't know about? Because they're the ones that are going to do you real harm. All right, a little preparation first. First, you've got to become ready and willing. This is a lot harder than it sounds. You're going to have to have faith. And when you're in the middle of a lie, having faith is difficult. But you've got to have faith in a few key things. First, you've got to have faith in the power of God. The power of the truth and the love of God is bigger than your lie. I don't care how big your lie is or how bad the trauma was that happened to you. God's love is bigger than your pain. It's bigger than, than your memory. It's bigger than the lie, and it's there for you. Number one, you've got to believe that. There are no lies we've believed for so long that they're hidden from God, and we need his power to expose them and pull them down. You need to understand this. Similar emotions can lead to the source of the lie. Negative emotions often have their root in past events. If we trace them backwards, we can usually find them. It's the lie which prevents the emotional healing and causing the continuing present discomfort. We can find the lies by following the trail of similar emotions back to the source. The reason I love this ministry so much is I'm a problem solver and I'm sort of a, I'm like a detective. I love clues and I love hunts and I love putting, figuring out how the puzzle works. 
What's the little string that leads from this all the way through these experiences? A little sign, a little hint, a little hint, a little hint. Oh, there's the connection. That's how it all works. The reason I'm good at this is because I love the hunt. I love looking for what made this person tick? Where did this problem be? It's like solving a problem. When did this begin? And that's the way you have to think as you're working this through. And we're going to go into that tomorrow in a lot more detail. Okay, number three, and this is the biggest one. You've got to resist the temptation to avoid emotional pain. Getting well involves returning to the scene of the crime. It just does. You're going to have to face it. You're going to have to go back to the pain. It's got to be acknowledged and it's confessed. AA has a expression I absolutely love. I quote it all the time. We are only as sick as the secrets we keep. Isn't that great? You're only as sick as the secrets you keep. If you're not willing to look and find this pain and then examine it and figure out what happened then and where the lie began, if you keep it in the dark, it remains a resource for what lives in the dark. Anything you choose to keep in the dark remains a resource for those things which live in the dark and you will stay in bondage. You also have to understand that no one, including yourself, is capable of talking you out of a lie that you have believed over a long period of time. Self-talk at this point isn't going to do it. You need the power of God. It's not do more and try harder. If I can just tell myself one more time this truth. Something that's been there a long, long time, most of your life, that lie's now become a part of you. It's going to take the power of God to displace that lie. Which is kind of good because it means it's not going to be about your effort and your hard work. It's going to be about the power of God. Lies are broken by the power of God as he applies his truth. And you're going to trust God to reveal what is true. The source of your truth isn't going to come from your Bible study on this one. The source of your truth is going to come from revelation by the Holy Spirit. This is not an intellectual... You've got to understand this and you're going to see this as we unpack the methodology. This is not an intellectual process of hunting for principles and applying them. That we do with lies we know. You can't do this with lies you don't know. You've got to discover it first. And when you discover it, God's going to speak the truth. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit. That's where the power to destroy the lie is. Not in your ability to believe. And I find that, I don't know about you, but I find that really comforting. Because if my salvation from a stronghold is going to depend on my ability to believe, I'm not going to get well. Because I just don't have that high a capacity to believe against a lie that's become a part of me. But if the power of the Holy Spirit intervenes, if the truth of God in a revelatory way, in a direct way from God, comes and speaks to me, and I not only hear the truth, but I experience the truth. Do you understand there's a difference between hearing the truth and experiencing the truth? We're going to talk about that in a minute. When you experience the truth and not just hear it, it has power. It can displace a lie just like that. And in fact, for some of you, many of you tonight, it's going to happen just like that. It's gone. It's gone. It's not there anymore. doesn't bother me. Amazing transformation. I put it this way. I will only be free when I hear the truth from the one who is truth. There's a difference, guys, between hearing the truth and experiencing the truth. And you need the experience of the truth. 
I'm going to stop here.